0: We decided that, look, there are so many young people, there are never going to be enough jobs for them. They have to start companies, and they have to create jobs not only for themselves, but jobs and opportunities for others.
1: Hi, I'm Dana Yao, your host on the Emerging Markets Tech Startups Podcast. While traveling to over 90 countries, I was inspired by the entrepreneurial spirit across startup communities in Africa, Latin America, Asia, the Middle East, and Eastern Europe. On the show, we bring you stories from entrepreneurs, startup ecosystem innovators, and investors. We discuss what makes these markets culturally and historically unique, local trends, local challenges consumers and founders face, and the opportunities. Let's get started. It is so good to have Jihan here today. I like to call her the queen of startups in Pakistan, and some people probably also say the same thing in Pakistan. So Jihan, we're lucky to have you here today. Tell us a bit about yourself, Nest.io. What was that personal motivation that got you started?
0: A little bit about myself. I grew up in Hong Kong, and I moved back to Pakistan in the mid-90s. I started the Nest.io about five and a half years ago. It's a technology incubator, accelerator, and innovation and Community hub in Karachi, which is towards the south of Pakistan and the largest city in Pakistan. So, we're talking about a city of 25 million people. And there was a
1: need. That's a country for some people. Yeah,
0: that's several countries in our region actually put together. So, it's an exciting city, uh, and there was a need. We identified it, and I said, let's do it.
1: Let's talk about Pakistan. I mean, if Karachi was 25 million, how big is the country?
0: A study done on the numbers. So the largest number that we have come up with is probably approximately 220 million people, which is huge. And a large number of these are young people. So you're talking about probably 70% below the age of 30.
1: 70 percent i heard the same thing recently from an episode recorded with um minhas from bangladesh yeah it was like 65 percent are under 30 and so
0: that's the opportunity
1: so beyond the population what are things about pakistan we should know if someone was building a product for pakistanis tomorrow what do they have to know about the culture people's mindset preferences
0: so you know i remember that when uh, Kareem which is uh the ride hailing service uh, in this region, you know, Egypt, UAE, Pakistan. When it first started, people said, you know, nobody will want to get in a car with a stranger. Nobody will use an app. And you know, this kind of thing cannot work in Pakistan. People will not adopt technology. But that's not what happened. Kareem ended up having the largest customer base in Pakistan simply because there was a need. There's not enough public transportation available there are not enough people with personal cars and so the opportunity that the founder uh, Mud- identified who's a pakistani himself from karachi
1: oh he's pakistani the founder of kareem
0: yeah, the founder of kareem is one of the founders is pakistani the main founder and he uh, identified that opportunity and uh, look at the base that they got because of it so people here we have a large middle class estimated maybe anywhere between 90 million to 100 million. And it's projected to grow to about 130 million by 2025. I think larger than probably next to China and India, we are number three. As people adopt technology, you know, the number of mobile phones, the broadband access, as that improves, the customer base also uh, improves. So, You'll find that anybody who targets Pakistan as a customer base will find that the first few million is easy. Adoption is going to be easy because people are willing to try anything as long as it solves a problem that they're facing. So whether it's in the education space, whether it's in the healthcare space, whether it's ride hailing, all sorts of opportunities are available. And so this market, that's why, you know, entrepreneurship has taken off because When a country has so many problems that young people can identify, they try and find solutions to those problems, whether they're social, whether they're commercial, uh, you know, so so, you know, entrepreneurs are always looking for those kind of opportunities.
1: Great segue into my next question. What are the three top local problems, opportunities that startups can solve or are solving today?
0: So agri-tech is something that's, uh, you know, really taking off and that is a need. The agriculture has been our major uh, significant contributor to the economy. So that's definitely an opportunity. The fintech space, you know, the payment space hasn't yet been totally solved. We have a number of fintech players, but that's still an opportunity that somebody who can come in and actually address that, that will be a major and education technology still is. I mean, uh, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's ed tech, whether it's health, these are all things that people need to address in a major way. I think COVID in a sense has helped because a lot of people have gone online to access learning resources and a lot of people have started buying more online. Uh, E-commerce has really taken off because there were no options And so I think there's no going back. Once people learn how easy it is, the convenience factor falls in, uh, the number of things they can access, the kind of um, education they can access, uh, advice they can get online, whether it's mental health, whether it's uh, access to a good doctor that may not be available to them in the cities or in the towns that they live. I think there's no going back. Once people discover how easy and convenient digital is and the number of Mobile users increasing every day, I think it will only uh, improve further. And so, those opportunities, if anybody can target them, it's not one player. You can have several players doing well at the same time.
1: It only took a disastrous pandemic to get people online. I know in my job, I am trying to solve internet connectivity. Only about 50% of the world is connected. So, it's really interesting. The solution to Pushing people into internet wasn't necessarily more infrastructure, but it was a pandemic out of all things.
0: Sad, but, you know,
1: we'll take it. Of these three things, are there local players that are solving it? Or do you see international players coming in?
0: So there are local players who are trying to solve it. Um, there will be international players that will look at the opportunity and I hope partner with local players, simply because you need an understanding of the, of the market conditions, of the mentality of um, local consumers. So it's always better to know the market. So for instance, Food Panda came in here, which is a rocket internet company. And look at it, they've Mm. taken over the market as far as delivery of food is concerned. Yeah, it's Food Panda is it. I mean, it's it's done an amazing job. A young uh, founder, young CEO who's running it and uh, there's no looking back now other players have entered the market and yes there's an opportunity there continues to be an opportunity because much like the rest of asia we're into food in a major way so <laughs> that's one uh which is you know an international player uh coming in inspiring uh the local market and look at where they've got and then you look at somebody like uh Bykea, which is you know, a young man who started, first of all, Daraz, which then got acquired, a large stake got acquired by Alibaba. Okay, so Daraz is the largest e-commerce marketplace that we have in Pakistan. And it was founded by Muneeb Mayer, is a young founder. And he then went on to sell a large stake of this to um, Alibaba. So I think Alibaba, everybody knows. So the fact that a big uh, player like Alibaba should come in, show an interest, and actually get a large stake shows that they identified an opportunity here. Uh, The large consumer base, the fact that most people were not buying online but were beginning to. So I think it started with people like me who were buying online from other countries, like we were on Amazon and buying books and all of that, but we were not buying locally. We just never thought about buying locally and then it started you know whether it was online groceries whether it was small items whether it was books and then now people are even buying air conditioners and refrigerators and you name it so uh, daraz was one of the early players and then there were others who started online marketplaces selling electronic goods um, you know mo- mostly mobile phones tablets things like that and now everything more or less everything is being sold online and the numbers are growing. So, Bikeia uh, was the second uh, startup that um, Muneeb Meyer started after leaving the RAS, and that is a ride hailing service on bikes. And uh, it has developed into also it's a delivery service as well as, um, you know, it, it takes packages as well as people. <laughs> That's the simplest way to put it. Because, again, because of the lack of public transport, uh, bikes seem to get through the traffic quickly. They're cheaper for single passengers if they want to get from one place to another. And then if you want a packet delivered uh, across the city, uh, it is the easiest way to do it. So if I forget my uh, mobile phone at home and I want it, I don't want to go through the traffic, go back home, pick it up. So I would call a bikeier driver and have them pick it up and deliver it to my office. Simple things like that, documents, anything, medicines, you name it. So um, Muni Meyer started that and very recently, uh, Process Ventures from the US has invested in them uh, in a Series B round. So uh, that's the first time Process has uh, ventured into Pakistan and we see that as becoming Um, really something that is going to happen more and more once they see the opportunities meet with the entrepreneurs see how the growth is the market is just taking off right now wow
1: that's fascinating want to have someone who's a multi-founder that have worked on two successful startups right in some young markets that's almost unheard of but here you have an example of someone who's succeeded and now and building the second
0: startup and i think yeah i think he's done multiple others but these are the two that you know everybody talks about so and that's what you'll see uh, from many founders you know they try their hand at one thing or the other it doesn't work you know how we always told that you should fail quickly and then get on to the next thing if you're going to fail uh don't don't let it just drag on i think uh, he has succeeded in multiple ways in multiple things that he started and you will find that there are a number of founders um, who have come back after an education in the U.S. or elsewhere and come back to Pakistan, seen the opportunity and started companies which have then grown. You know, one of the interesting facts that I think very few people know is that 20% of Kayak's r and was done in Pakistan at the time of their IPO. And this was done by a company in Lahore called Abisoft. Again, a graduate of Stanford, yasser Bashir, who is now investing in young startups as well. So he's an in, um, angel investor, and his own company has really taken off as well. Uh, he works with uh, uh, he works to support startups uh, across uh, Silicon Valley in the U.S. other markets. So you know th- these are things people don't know, and one of the reasons you know Dan, this. The sad thing is that one of the reasons a lot of founders don't talk about the fact that they are from Pakistan or that they are working from Pakistan is because of the negativity that Pakistan has had in the media uh, throughout the years. Everybody just gets scared when they hear the word Pakistan. Although, you know, this is not a scary city. You've been here. Uh, This is not a scary country. We've got a lot of great people, great food, great culture. Uh, But people haven't known about it until now, until more recently. So the last five, six years have been good for us because we've managed to get rid of of that negative image that we had. And that's why the growth is now suddenly happening. And that's why the opportunities are opening up more and more. (laughs) I'm just one person and there are so many more people. And of course, the entrepreneurs, they're the ones who are actually executing.
1: I've spoken to founders who have come from Nest.io and told me it was because Jihan gave me a chance. She gave me a space in Nest.io to talk a little bit about the organization in terms of how many startups you guys have helped. You've had so many cohorts already, um, investment raised, and what's the backstory of how the organization started?
0: So, you know, I've been part of the Pakistan Software Association uh, for at least 20 years now. And that is the trade association that represents the technology sector. And as I traveled across Pakistan and talked to founders and talked to companies, one of the things that we found was missing was that although the tech sector was growing and it's been growing in double digits for some time now. We was operating from a small base, there were not enough new companies that were coming in, there were not enough young people who were starting companies, although they had the talent, they had the skills. And we asked people, we said, you know, why is it that you're not you know, starting companies? And they said, you know, uh, the thing is we don't know how to turn our tech idea into a business. We're very good at technology, but we don't know how to convert that into a business. We have no access to experts, to mentors, we don't even have have access to other people like ourselves whom we can sort of engage with and learn from. And so then the idea of the nest came about and, you know, before then initiatives had started in Lahore, the Punjab government had started plan nine, which, and before that NUST in Islamabad had started an incubation space. And we were, many of us were on the board of plan nine in the early days and we helped set it up and yet in Karachi, the biggest city of the country, there was nothing. And so we decided that, look, there are so many young people, they're never going to be enough jobs for them. They have to start companies and they have to create jobs, not only for themselves, but jobs and opportunities for others. And that's why we started the NestIO um, almost now six years ago. And it's been a space that has been totally, you know, transformational in my life, as well as in the lives of everybody who's come in touch with many of the entrepreneurs who've joined our, you know, now 12 cohorts. That's 200 plus startups. That's, you know, impacted so many people. And from day one, as soon as people heard that we were starting the Nest IO, people who were in business, people we're connected with, people in the tech sector, all said, how can we help? Because they recognized that this was something that was needed. And since then, we have had so many mentors from different verticals come and help these kids. They've come in and given them advice. They've held their hands. And it's, you know, it's been great to see. Um, I don't know if we would have been able to do it without them. Because to have an idea and to know that there is a need is one thing. But to have enough people buy into that idea and say, okay, we will do what it takes to help you execute on this idea. And, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of, uh, as far as the Nest is concerned, is the community that we have built. All these startup founders, not only have they worked on their own individual startups, they have helped each other, both in personal ways as well as in professional ways. And they continue to do that. That is what is amazing. And I think that in the long run is going to help this ecosystem grow further. One of the things that we also started was a conference. It's called zero to one disrupt. And we started that three years ago. This is the fourth year. And the reason we started it was that not enough stories were being told about Pakistan startup ecosystem. So this was no longer just about the next. We understood that if we are going to be known for what we are doing, if people are going to recognize that there is a startup ecosystem, if people are going to look at these founders, start investing in them, we needed to sort of have the drum rolls. <laughs> you know, people needed to hear that this was happening. So we had the we started the conference in 2017. We invited investors from outside we invited speakers from um, you know whether it was the region whether it was from the us people came in and that was one of the first times that they had engaged with young founders from pakistan and they were excited they were so taken in by the kind of work that was being done here but more so by the energy i think they felt it you know what people felt about indonesia a decade ago that is what they started feeling about Pakistan. They could see it. They knew it was the beginning of something big. And that's when these investments started happening. We saw investments from Middle East Venture Partners, from Oman Technology Fund. All those were early investments. Then Spark Labs also became one of the early founders in a startup that came out of the nest. You know, once things like this begin to happen, people talk to each other, and they started talking about zero to one disrupt. The next year, we found people contacting us and saying, hey, when is the conference we would like to attend, we would like to engage. And you know, we had office hours where young founders had 15-20 minutes with investors so that they could talk about their story, get advice, maybe not immediately get investment, but get the conversation going. And that's one of the biggest things that we've done. We invited people from across Pakistan, so from the entire ecosystem, because this was not just about us. This was about Pakistan and its startup ecosystem. And that's, I think, one of the, one of the things that we have done and done wow. well.
1: It's momentum like that. And you talk about the energy in the ecosystem there I was there for like two days and just sitting down with some of the founders even when I was speaking at the Nest IO the questions that I was getting from the folks who were in in the seats
0: just blew me away right and you just have to meet them once and you will you know you'll understand what what I'm saying so there are a lot of people who are listening to your podcast who've never been here who probably have never spoken to a Pakistani But once they do, they will begin to understand what I'm talking
1: about. And it's good because a couple months ago, I think before COVID, they actually had a conference here focused on Pakistani startups. And even after I left, I believe um, Subtan was supposed to come here to speak on behalf of his company as well. So it's even flowing here into the Bay Area. infiltrating this area which like you said is exactly what's needed to get the international startup ecosystem to start investing turning their eyes towards pakistan
0: so diana one of the thing, one of the things i don't know whether people are aware of this but there are a, a number of founders from pakistan who went to the u.s to study and who stayed on in silicon valley or some other part of the u.s and They've been able to achieve so much during their time in the U.S. They've made a name for themselves. Many of them are in large companies like Google, like Facebook, like Amazon. um, And they are now beginning to come back. And those that are not coming back are investing in Pakistan. So you or have back offices in Pakistan. So you hear of some of the big companies like Um, Affinity, which is a startup developing artificial intelligence for use in customer call centers, it was valued at $1.6 billion in its Series D round late last year. And Keep Trucking, which is bringing, uh, which is building trucking fleets management solutions, they raised $149 million in their Series D round, and they have valued at $1.25 billion. So, you know, these are companies that have a large number of their uh, team members based in Pakistan working out of Pakistan. And the founders are Pakistani. So, although they are recognized in the US as large companies and have been able to raise money, a lot of the work is coming back into Pakistan. And those kids who are working in these companies are learning from these founders and are going on to build companies of their own. So it's, it's you know, it's it's that kind of effect that is going to help the startup ecosystem to mature even further.
1: Reminds me of the Andela model. It's based out of Nigeria. Their idea is to train people to be software developers by connecting them to work for Silicon Valley companies. And it kind of seems like what you're saying with Affinity, by having folks in Pakistan work, I guess, in the back office or being part of the core team, they just learn right, by being part. And then from that, they kind of exit from there and are inspired to start their own companies.
0: Yeah. And the founder, and the founder of Affinity, this is not the first time he's doing it either. So Zia Chishti started uh, the resource group here in Pakistan, which was a major call center business, which has grown here as well as in the Philippines and elsewhere. And Then he started something called DGS, which is a a data solutions business and that took off and now Affinity is is just his next uh, business where he's using Pakistani resources. So he's seen how good Pakistani resources are and has made sure that he uses them and, and that benefits him as a business and benefits Pakistan and Pakistani founders. It's a win-win-win all the way.
1: What are some other startups in Pakistan itself that have solved local problems or innovated specific to the ecosystem?
0: Well, so I don't know if you've heard of Zameen, which is one of the largest uh, Pakistani startup stories. They've just raised a massive $100 million in their uh, Series D round last year. And they've now it's a real estate play. It's, it's, it's an online real estate business. And they have expanded now to 40 cities across the UAE, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Morocco, Spain, Romania, they have over about 2000 employees. They're two young brothers uh, who started the business. And I think they didn't understand how fast it was going to grow. It's not part of EPMG. So, uh, you know, it's, um, it's taken off it's the largest i think easily the largest startup success story out of pakistan
1: is a product like zillow or when you say real estate
0: and whatever online transfer uh yeah so so anybody wanting to sell their property anyone wanting to buy property they and that's big i mean in pakistan it's big people you know one of the things that everybody aims for is to have uh their own property and so we having access to and details about uh, real estate online where they can first explore and then make sure that you know the documentation is correct and everything because there are a lot of scams, et cetera, that happen in uh, in, in real estate anywhere in the world. And so to have somebody validate and uh, make sure that uh, things are on the up and up and the person who's selling the property actually owns it in the first place, uh, it's, it's a big deal.
1: Yeah, and you hear so many examples like this. I remember talking to Subtan, and he has started the insurance company, and same story. He was saying people were buying insurance by calling these insurance companies. Otherwise, they had no transparency how much these packages cost. He was saying he put the information online, side to side, comparing these companies. And from that, he was seeing first small businesses calling them, even though they were initially servicing consumers. Then they had larger companies calling them. They were basically solving a real need in the market. And a lot of it was just putting it onto digital and getting it in front of people. And
0: So Sipten uh, of uh, smartchoice.pk, the, the startup you're talking about, he was part of our first cohort. Really smart young man who, was, who left his job to start this because he felt that there, there was something really missing in, in this space. And he built this market. And now you're right. Every insurance company, every corporation that wants to insure their employees, everybody is coming to him and his business is growing. He then raised investment from uh, uh, the Oman Technology Fund. And subsequently, he's raised further investment. So he's doing extremely well. He's a mature founder who was operating single-handedly until it was impressed upon him that, look, uh, perhaps it might be good if you had a co-founder. With uh, technical knowledge, because this uh, himself is is not a, a technology graduate. So then he took on a CTO, and uh, ever since then he hasn't looked back.
1: I was lucky to visit them in their office. They invited me over for lunch, and I just oh wow, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was so impressed just meeting their team for marketing. Where they were talking about Facebook ads, and they were like asking me these questions. I was like, you guys are so sophisticated. I don't even know the answer. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they have a lot of questions.
1: What are some other startups, either from your cohort outside that you would say is quite impressive?
0: And I'm really super impressed by those young founders who address social needs, although they know that initially, perhaps it, they won't be able to raise money as quickly and probably not be profitable as quickly as those that are focused on purely commercial needs. So we have a founder, we have a startup by the name of Wonder Tree. I don't know if you met them when you were here, but Wondertree uses augmented reality to help children with special needs. So, you know, to help them with their therapy, to help them with their growth, uh, their cognitive skills. And they've, um, you know, it was difficult. The founder, one of the founders who started this, his brother actually is a special child and he saw him sort of playing with his tablet and his phone. And he said, I noticed that he was able to focus a lot more. And that's when the idea came to me that there are so many millions of people in Pakistan and around the world uh, who could you know, be benefited by having this technology uh, work for them. And so they started Wonder Tree and in, in the early days it was very difficult for them because You know, to create a solution, to sell people on it, and then be able to raise investment was extremely difficult. But now they're part of several acceleration programs. They've got grants from UNICEF. They've done extremely well for themselves. And the number of people they've been able to help locally, as well as now they've started expanding and they've started getting business from outside of Pakistan, in the Middle East, even from the U.S., Uh, They need to now market themselves much more aggressively internationally. And that's what they're working on right now. So the two founders, Bakas and Usman, they're amazing people. They, you know, they, they struggled through this. They struggled through a number of personal challenges as well. And, but where they have come now and the team that they've put together, it's truly amazing. It's inspirational in many ways. And now they're giving back so, Vakas, who's the CEO, comes and mentors young teams at, at the Nest and uh, talks about his journey, uh, helps them with their marketing. So, you know, this, this, I think this feeling of being able to and wanting to give back because somebody has helped you through your struggles, that's something that I see in a lot of young founders uh, within Pakistan. So, Wonder Tree is just one of them. I think you met azima from connect here
1: yes i met azima and she had such an inspiring story
0: who is trying to make uh, it possible for people with hearing uh, with hearing disabilities to have access to everything that a person without any hearing difficulties does so whether it's information regarding politics whether it's being able to apply for a credit card or a debit card whether it is simple uh, things like being able to order online they are creating technology which will enable people who are deaf to lead their lives as if it was just one problem that somebody has solved for them so um, you know and she's only in her early 20s and still a student she's just graduating this year and she started this with her co-founder arham Ishtia. but you know to watch them go into this with a passion. And she started because both her parents are deaf. And she said, I didn't want them to depend on me throughout their lives. You know, I wanted that if they wanted something, they didn't have to wait until I came home or my brother came home. And one of the most interesting things that they've done is they held a concert. Can you imagine a concert for deaf people? Yeah, so it was, you know, I was there and, Everybody said that they were crazy. They said, you know, how can you have a concert for the deaf? They can't hear. And what they did was they used lights, they used sign language, they used vibration. And you saw that 300 young people who had never experienced music ever experienced music that night. And one of our local bands, one of the most famous bands we have uh, played. And the, the environment was electric, simply electric. So, you know, innovating and making sure you do things with a purpose but also that can translate into a business is something that I have found young people here in Pakistan are doing there's another startup by the name of Modulus Tech who started creating flat-packed housing that could be assembled in three hours and the need arose because when there was the earthquake the floods people needed housing and housing can take forever to put up So they are, um, these three engineers from NED University, they were part of one of our cohorts. I think it was our fourth or fifth cohort. They said, you know, this is something we can do. And so they created this, this is sustainable living. The products that they are using are, uh, you know, uh, they're using uh, things that can be, um, that uh, the UN has recognized as being um, the, the, you know, responsible building And uh, they've they've been able to help people during the floods, after the floods, they've now decided that they're going to uh, go into the northern areas where uh, tourism is big, but not enough housing is available uh, for tourists, for people living in those areas, better living conditions. Uh, They've even gone on to make houses or kennels for pets. People who have pets don't have housing for them so they're expanding in every which way and they've been able to raise funding twice uh they, they don't want to raise any more funding right now because they want to make sure that they are they have grown to the scale where um, they can raise a, you know at a better valuation but these young three young people they're, they're totally amazing in the payment space also you know we have safe pay which was part of our last cohort uh, they have just gone through the Y Combinator uh, uh, program, and they've been able to raise uh, money and probably will raise again. Uh, two founders, one based in the U.S., one based here in Pakistan, doing extremely well. Um, also, we got a local uh, uh, startup that works on replicating what WhatsApp does for the local market. So, why is there a need? Because he said, you know, we want things that are custom, customizable. So it's called TeloTalk. And what they do is they provide uh, communication between people. They also provide stickers which, with local context. And it's just, it, it's taken off. They're doing well, they're seasoned founders. And um, e- eventually they might sell out to one of the big players, but they've managed to create a local solution and get ownership from people who uh, who think that it's it's great, that this is something that, uh, you know, was created locally, something like WeChat, uh, sort of a replica of uh, WeChat, WhatsApp, that kind of product. So, you know, everybody is doing uh, something that they recognize as an opportunity. There are several women who are working in the healthcare space, whether it is access to healthcare from smaller towns, villages, Or it could be uh, access to mental health, which, you know, uh, you spoke to Amna Asif from Relive Now. She, uh, you know, she's so passionate about it because she said, I remember when I was depressed and I needed someone and I didn't know who to approach. And with the number of, you know, suicides across the world, when people just don't have a person to talk to. And during COVID, we've seen mental health cases, you know, just multiply. Just being able to talk to a person online for 15 minutes can make such a major difference. And Amna has focused on it and gone after it with such passion and been able to help so many people. It makes her feel good because she feels that she could have been one of those people whom somebody else could have helped.
1: Mm -hmm. And she has to go through the major cultural hurdle because I know that's a... Not actually something talked about mental health in that ecosystem. No, so I and know. I
0: think this is this has been something throughout Asia where when you say you have a mental health condition, people say, "Oh, you're crazy." They're not crazy, you know. The stressful life that many of us lead, everybody probably has a mental health condition. Some of, some yeah, so some people have uh, it as a more severe condition. But if you can talk to people, have it addressed, why is it such a problem? I mean, if you have physical injury you go to a doctor right so if you have a mental condition where you're being stressed you are not being able to cope you're not being able to deal with something that doesn't mean you're crazy it just means that you need help of an expert somebody you can just talk to somebody you can who can relate to what you're going through and maybe advise you on how you can deal with it that's it and you know I think it it helps that somebody as young as Amna saw the problem, identified it, went to experts. So she's not offering the advice because that could be dangerous. She's not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. She's gone to the experts and told them, please make yourselves available online through my platform so that people can access you. And people across the world, you know, Pakistanis, who may want to some talk to someone in their own language rather than go to a psychologist in in the country where they are and have to relate their problem in English. So it's a platform that has now customers from outside Pakistan as well, but definitely within Pakistan.
1: I remember hearing these stories from Amna and Azima personally sitting down with them during lunch. I was just blown away by how socially oriented the ecosystem is in driving impact and solving problems and hearing them talk so passionately about it. And like you said, despite these topics not being the ones that are on the investment headlines, they care more about solving the problem. And after they are like, I'll figure out the money aspect in the meanwhile. And they weren't dissuaded by that. Whereas I feel like in this ecosystem, in Silicon Valley, it is money first. And the social problems, you leave it for the government to solve. You leave it for nonprofits to solve. And it didn't necessarily feel like that. So I love the sort of confluence of social using technology to solve social impact because that's why I care so much about technology. Because I see that talent, the technology, all being able to tackle problems that will affect people and not just make people's pockets richer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely
0: right. And, you know, we're fortunate that we have such inspirational founders who care, who care about the country, about the people, about the problems and being able to solve them. And if we as an ecosystem, as people who are part of the ecosystem can support them, can help them, can encourage them, can, you know, give them a shoulder to cry on when they need it, uh, can be here when they need someone to talk to. That's exactly what we're doing.
1: And that's why they call you the queen. Or they probably call you the mother of startups in Pakistan.
0: So, no, I refuse to be called the mother simply because that would, you know, that means I'm a lot older and (laughs) I refuse to get older.
1: (laughs) You're young in mind, that doesn't change. So, you've worked with so many founders and startups. What do you see as maybe one or two challenges that stand in the way?
0: Regulation around investments uh, has been one of the problems, but we're tackling that right now. The State Bank of Pakistan, the uh, SECP, everybody is actually beginning to understand the need to address the regulatory problems and are addressing it. So that's, you know, that gives us hope. Those are some of the things.
1: And what's the problem exactly? So,
0: for instance, you know, bringing money in and taking money out easily, uh, you know, that's something that people want to happen without it taking weeks and weeks. So it's not that they're not allowed to take out the money if they invest, but it should be easier, there should be less documentation, um, and some of it should just be automatic uh, as it happens in other countries. So I think those are things that we're learning from other ecosystems and trying to implement here. But the good thing is that when the State Bank of Pakistan starts talking to you understands the problem when the secp starts to ensure that there are separate rules for startups so that they're more flexible they don't have to provide as much documentation or go through um, a lot of bureaucratic stuff before they're able to register a company make it easier like it happens anywhere you go online you can register your company within hours and then get started So that's begun to happen in Pakistan. And so those were initial regulatory challenges. Um, Now, uh, also, of course, there is pre-seed funding still not that easily available. Uh, Making sure that you train enough resources as you scale. That's another thing that is beginning to happen. So these are challenges, but these are challenges that are all being addressed right now.
1: Usually, I was speaking to a bunch of folks in the African startup ecosystem like Zambia. And there was, would, they lauded that, you know, investment is still a huge challenge there and it's still a sticky challenge. So it's really optimistic to see that in Pakistan, these are challenges, but they're being executed on and in no time.
0: So Diana, you know, uh, about five to six years ago, we had no local investors. So no local investors investing in startups. There were investors who were investing in, in land, who were investing in in, you know, large retail operations, things like that. But nobody was looking at startups. Now we have several companies that have been started, which are just focusing on the startup ecosystem. And also we've begun to attract capital from outside Pakistan. So whether it's the region, the Middle East being predominant, but also from the U S from China. So I think it's great. The investment scene has changed. It must get be- better, but it is moving towards that. And so there, there's still challenges. I, I won't, I don't want to paint a picture of everything being hunky-dory, but everything is very optimistic, and things are moving in the right direction. As we sort of grow, the investments will continue to pour in, and as people see how the ecosystem is functioning, how the customer base is growing, um, I think you know this will continue to be a space that people will want to increasingly invest in. And that continues to be something that we need to address. We need to tell the stories. We need to make sure people know about us and know what's going on in this country, know what the opportunities are. If we can do that, I think data is still one of our weakest links. We don't collect enough data and we certainly don't disseminate enough data. And that's something that we need to do well as a country, as an ecosystem.
1: I was hearing there was a local company that was actually doing their own mapping. Um, The founder of... Yes. uh, By Kia, Tomanib, told me about this because he was like, oh, I'm struggling. In case Google Maps decides to charge us more, we we need a backup plan. And I was like, oh, are there any local companies that are doing mapping? They probably have better data sets. And he's like, actually, yeah, we're working with this Pakistani company, but I'm not so sure yet of the quality. But even hearing that was... You know so interesting versus some of the other ecosystems that i've been in where that doesn't exist so i feel like the ecosystem is doing all the right things
0: yeah no and you know online online sales of medicines and um, medical equipment all of that i mean a few years ago it was unheard of but now people uh, trust that the right product will be delivered uh, the companies make sure that you have Uh, a doctor's prescription which you can just scan and send to them Uh, so you know things are happening things are transforming and that is what is a good sign about the ecosystem that as people begin to have more belief in online in digital it's only likely to grow more and more and the pace is going to increase there are also special technology zones that are now coming up and government is funding uh the infrastructure, which is where governments do need to come in. Um, And uh, I think with the right people and the right places working together, collaborating, uh, you will be hearing many more great stories coming out of Pakistan.
1: And that's what excites me. You look at the models, like in China, where they've actually transcended the use of technology, even beyond us in the U.S., right? They use mobile payments everywhere and the penetration is probably upwards of 80%. And that excites me because emerging markets are going to teach us how to use technology. I mean, you see that with Gojek in Indonesia where they've kind of copied the super app model and have done so well extending into fintech space. And I'm so excited to see Pakistan doing that already.
0: Absolutely. I'm as excited, if not more.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure, more because you're at the heart of it. So you're gonna make it happen. I'm just a bystander for now, no, cheering jihad on.
0: Watch it happen because these young people are gonna make it happen, Diana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, you're as young as them. Yeah,
0: that hurts.
1: Sometimes, yeah, I feel I'm younger than them. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about how the government is helping. Is corporates helping like usually in a lot of ecosystems i see the banking or telcos system also being a partner in the hand of it or is it mostly the startup ecosystem left to itself with the government's
0: help so initially there was no government help either so the government also didn't understand what was happening there was a fund that has been set up for research and that turned into a startup fund as well um but the government then uh, recently a i think about 3 4 years ago started setting up these national incubation centers across the country some work well some don't but then that that happens in any emerging ecosystem it uh, depends on the people who are running it depends on you know the focus areas whether they really they really do have to have a passion for it in order to do it because there are a lot of struggles uh, corporates initially were paying no attention to startups at all um, probably looking at them very cynically as, you know, who are, the, who are they fooling? They're not going to ever be able to, you know, uh, start a company and take it to the scale that we've been able to do, whether it's the multinationals or the local national corporations. But now, to, you know, a few years ago, you started seeing the banks initially and the telcos start taking an interest because they saw what was happening. They felt what was happening banks are too huge to innovate themselves. So they saw uh, the fintech players that were coming in as being a part of the solution. So they started partnering with them. And that has helped because you know we, we have a very small percentage of Pakistanis who have bank accounts. So the fact that the fintech players were able to access a larger number of young people who didn't believe in banks I think helped the banks to see that there was a reason for partnership and they are, so they got involved. Other banks like uh, other uh, corporations, um, major national corporations, as well as international corporations also felt that probably they were too structured to innovate themselves. And for them to work with a startup would mean that they would bring in innovation into their own businesses. And we saw that because as The Nest, we also work with uh, the corporate sector and they asked us to run corporate innovation sprints for their teams so that they could start thinking differently because they felt most of them were thinking exactly the way that others within the organizations were thinking. So in order to innovate, in order to do something that is very different from what you've been doing forever, you need to step back maybe go into a different space with different people and have different conversations. And that's what I think we've enabled with several corporates and that corporations themselves are looking at doing. So recently we had the example of Unilever partnering with one of the startup companies here, Venture Dive to set up Munchies, which is a platform for, for snacks being delivered within maybe 15, 20 minutes or within you know uh, you know the the kind of buying that pe- impulse buying that people want to do and they don't want to go to a supermarket or go to a store far away they want to go online and say okay i want chips i want ice cream i want this and it should be <laughs> delivered right away <laughs> and you know the funny thing is that that idea emerged at one of our startup weekends <laughs> and oh, wow. it's a hackathon. Uh, no, actually not at startup weekend I'm wrong it started at Unilever uh, actually did a hackathon at the nest and asked for ideas because corporations are doing that they're holding hackathons to see how young people are thinking about different mm-hmm. uh, problems and and so they one of the problems they identified was okay we want delivery to happen within minutes of Uh, the purchase being, the need being identified by the consumer and the purchase being made. And so this idea was the winning idea out of that hackathon, which then Unilever took further and then partnered with Venture Dive, which is an established company that also worked on the tech for Kareem. And um, so, you know, we've seen that type of thing also happening, where partnerships between startups and corporates are now beginning to happen. And COVID again was very helpful recently in making more of uh, these corporations look to startups because when everything went online, many of these corporates you know, don't think much of technology. And even though they have it within their operations, many of them were not online other than having a website. So now when their teams started working remotely, when they had to make sure that their products were available online, they had to suddenly turn to digital. And a lot of the startup founders they were working with were able to help them do that. So I think, that, yeah, that kind of collaboration is happening. It's, it's, it's really good. It's really good to see banks, telcos. Telcos have you know a customer base who's already digitally savvy so for them to partner with startups and make sure that startups have access to that market uh that they can uh, make sure that their products are available to the customer base of the telco is just such a natural thing to do
1: Mm. and all these established players almost don't have a choice you said 70 percent of the population is under 30 yeah and they expect technology they expect digital and, and these companies will probably impatient. die out if...
0: Yeah, they're very impatient. They want things now. You know, <laughs> they can't... I remember... want their snacks and chips family. delivered now. Yeah, my right. parents would wait for, to have a telephone line installed for years. Uh, <laughs> now people want it within minutes, within seconds. Yes. Anything that can happen.
1: <laughs> we, we've been so inspired to just hearing you and you being part of the ecosystem. If people want to help get involved in the Pakistani ecosystem, what's the best ways?
0: So the best way is connect with us, you know, tell us what you can do, whether it's mentor people, whether it is connect them to anybody anywhere in the world where they will be able to either access knowledge, access investment, uh, you know, partner, anything, you know, when an ecosystem is growing at the pace that we are growing, everything is welcome right now, uh, you know, Startups are looking for partners, outreach to other markets. Startups are also looking for investment. Um, you know, We are looking for good mentors who uh, we can connect the startup founders to, although we're very, we've been very fortunate because we have them available both locally and through organizations like uh, Google, like Facebook, like Amazon. We've always had a lot of support and uh, we continue to look to that support to help the ecosystem to grow. So that's how they can help, you know, and spread the story, spread the story about Pakistan. That will help us the most. (laughs) And
1: hence this episode. So I'm so excited that we got a chance to chat and that we are getting this out as to spreading the story and hearing it from the source. So thank you, Jihan, so much for your
0: time. Thank you, Diana, for the opportunity. And thank you for wanting to share the Pakistan story.
1: Thanks for joining us today on the Emerging Markets Tech Startup Show. If you have questions, comments, requests for me to cover an emerging market, or want to be connected with today's guests, leave me a comment in the reviews or find me on Twitter at Diana Yao. Until next time.